Morris from Canberra, Australia. In 2014, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. After taking the dietary advice of the Australian Diabetes Association, I became more diabetic. I did some research which led me to the ketogenic diet. Spoiler alert, I reversed my type 2 diabetes by drastically reducing my carbohydrate intake and increasing my consumption of healthy fats. In 2016, I was determined to help my buddy Carl by showing him what I did and the science behind it. Hey y'all, I'm Carl Franklin from the United States. I also used to be a type 2 diabetic, but not as severely as Richard. I devoured all the information Richard sent me, and after a mutual friend went keto to address prostate cancer, I also went on the ketogenic diet. That was in February of 2016. By April, I was in full swing, reversing my diabetes. We're not doctors and we don't give medical advice. We're just a couple of dudes on the internet who reverse their diabetes by following a ketogenic diet. Right. We just want to share our experiences and what we know about the science behind the ketogenic diet. Yeah, so we started this podcast to chronicle Carl's journey and to provide some solid information to those curious about this dietary lifestyle. Right. And now we have over 200 podcast episodes, some of which have been downloaded hundreds of thousands of times. And after failing miserably on Facebook, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we gave that a Viking funeral and moved our online community to the ketogenic forums where tens of thousands of people now share their experiences. We also founded an annual ketogenic festival called KetoFest. Carl and I are both software developers, and we normally find ourselves at software conferences several times a year, and we tend to gravitate towards the conversations that happen in the hallways at conferences. Sure, the talks are great, but it's the community that we enjoy the most. Right, so KetoFest is a conference to discuss the latest research of the ketogenic diet, and also a festival celebrating the ketogenic lifestyle. So, Carl, what is a ketogenic diet? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> it's a diet where instead of burning sugar and starch for energy, our cells preferentially burn fat. That produces molecules called ketones that our bodies use for fuel. Right. Our main molecular fuels are glucose, which we make from carbohydrates, and fatty acids, which we make from fat. Our cells have two modes. In one, they burn glucose and make fat. In the other, they burn fatty acids and make ketones. But you don't have to eat a high-fat diet to be ketogenic, right? Well, when you're starting out, you may have to. Then in a few weeks, as you become better adapted to burning fat for energy, when all your calories come from fatty acids, the amount you need to eat becomes coupled to satiety, which integrates not only the variable amount of energy that your body needs to run on every day, but also the amount of fat that can be drawn down from storage. So how many carbohydrates do we need to restrict ourselves to in order to get into that state? It depends. Some of us who are metabolically disordered need to get below 20 grams a day. Somebody who's quite metabolically flexible can eat as much as 100 grams a day. And how about other nutrients like protein, minerals, and essential cofactors like vitamins and essential fats? You need from 1 to 1.5 grams of protein for every kilogram of lean mass. Beyond that, you just waste excess by turning it into energy instead of using fatty acids. As for other essential nutrients, if you're eating fatty meats or eggs plus leafy green vegetables, you're going to get most of those because the organisms that made those foods have already concentrated essential cofactors. Ketogenic diets are varied and delicious. They can be vegetarian or carnivore, home-cooked or takeout. Hot cuisine! Hot cuisine! <laughs> 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 or just bacon and eggs. 
As long as your carbohydrates are low enough. And hey, if you're an absolute beginner, check out our Starting Keto episode for more information at start.2keto.com. Yeah. So, Richard, what's new with you? How was your week? It's uh, Halloween, I think. So it's spooky season. I'll be honest, I'm Australian, so I don't really understand what this Halloween thing is all about. As far as I can tell, it's a holiday that's all about feeding your neighbor's kids candy. Yeah, and scaring the crap out of them. <laughs> you know, I had a weird dream last night. Yeah? I'm, I'm, in my dream, I'm, I met a friend named Jacob Marley, who had died years ago from complications of type 2 diabetes. Oh. Yeah, and he told me that I have just one chance, and I shall be visited this night by three spirits. And I must listen to them or suffer the same fate. Well, that is some spooky stuff. So what happened in this dream? I don't know. I woke up almost immediately. In fact, I'm quite tired still. Maybe I should probably go back to bed. Do you mind if we do a short show this week? No worries. I'm sure our listeners won't mind a short show this week. Well, that's a show. Hey, thanks for listening. We hope you get as much out of this information as we do in putting it together. Two Keto Dudes doesn't take advertising revenue. We have no benefactors with hidden agendas. That's right. It's listeners like you who keep our lights on. And there are a few ways you can support us, all of which are listed on our website at donate.2keto.com. Thanks again. We'll see you next time on Two Keto Dudes. Awake, Carl Franklin! Richard? You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. I need some sleep. I'm not Richard. I'm the ghost of diabetes past. What is the scene I see before me? That's me, but I'm a lot younger. Yes, you're in your mid-twenties. So, how do you feel? I feel awesome. Awesome and hungry, but mostly awesome. And I'm so thin. Well, a lot thinner than I have been in decades. Yes, but inside your body, you are slowly becoming diabetic. On the outside, it just looks like you might be getting a little fat. But you have hollow legs. You can eat and eat and only gain a little weight. Oh, look. Looks like I'm visiting my doctor. Uh Uh-oh. She's got her about-to-lecture-Carl face on. Yes, your doctor sees it. She doesn't see that you're diabetic, of course. She doesn't even see that your blood glucose is a little high. It's still in the normal non-diabetic range, maybe a little into the pre-diabetic range, but definitely not diabetic. What she notices is you've become a little heavier, just dipping into a little overweight BMI, and you've slightly higher triglycerides in your blood, but she discounts that because you're getting a little fat. So the fat in your blood is a sign to her that you're eating too much fat. Pound for pound, fat has twice the calories of other macronutrients. So that explains why you're gaining weight, right? It's all about the calories in. Hmm. Your doctor doesn't think of diabetes. She tells you to eat less fat to work on the calories in and do some exercise to work on the calories out, and that will get your weight under control. Oh, look, time for a little post-lecture snacky snack. Oh, what is that I'm eating? It looks like a donut from a box of freshly baked glazed donuts. Mmm, strange. When I eat that donut, I get more and more hungry. Let's go inside your body to look at what your pancreas is doing. 
It's tasting all of the molecules from the food that you're eating. That Krispy Kreme that you ate a decade ago contains around 200 kilocalories, of which 2 grams were amino acids, 11 grams were fatty acids, and 23 were glucose. Your pancreas is tasting that, and when it sees glucose, it releases some insulin. Whoa, that's not some. That was a lot of insulin it just released. Don't worry, if you have just one donut, then that insulin will tell your cells to suck down the glucose and use it for energy, and then your insulin will drop again. Yeah, but it looks like I didn't have just one. I'm eating another one. Don't worry. If you have just two, <laughs> then that insulin will tell your cells to suck down the glucose and use it for energy. And if there's any glucose in excess, you'll turn that into fat and you can use that later. Well, uh, I might have just had three. Well, you have lots of capacity to store fatty acids for later, so you should be right. Let's look at where that glucose is going. The greatest thing for glucose is your muscle cells. Let's look at one of those. See, it has a receptor for insulin, and when it senses insulin, it does two things. It switches off burning fatty acids, and it moves a glucose dump truck called GLUT4 to fuse with the cell's outer membrane to load up some of that glucose from your blood. Your cells take up that glucose, so the level in your blood drops, and then your pancreas stops tasting glucose, and it stops making insulin. As soon as your insulin drops, those cells that were burning glucose can go back to burning fatty acids for energy. Oh no, I'm finishing off the box. I, I guess I don't want him to go stale. Damn it, Carl. Okay, I think now we may have a problem. <sighs> In those dozen donuts, we just ate 2,400 kilocalories. That's about how much energy we'll burn in a day. But it's the calories really aren't the problem. Mm. We've also made a lot of insulin. And that's one thing that differentiates people with metabolic disease from normal people, is that when we make insulin, we make more for longer. A normal person challenged by a donut makes a surge of insulin. After an hour or two, it's back down to normal. Type 2 diabetics, even before they're diagnosed, even before they start to gain weight, their insulin secreted in response to glucose can be three times higher and can stay high for three times as long. So using some back-of-the-envelope math, that's on order of nine times as much insulin. A normal person wouldn't be hungry for a day after a meal like that because their satiety would be coupled to their energy demands. And if they mm. made a bunch of new fatty acids, they would just burn those once the insulin drops. But we make more insulin in response to all that glucose, and that means we're not burning fatty acids, so all we can do is store them. Right, and what happens if you can't access energy is you eat more food. Eat more food. Over the next decade, we'll be storing more and more fatty acids because, and this is the important bit, when insulin is high, your muscle cells are on a low-fat diet, even when they're swimming in triglycerides. But I'm not diabetic yet. My glucose is within normal ranges. Yeah, thanks to abnormal ranges of insulin it is. Mm. But I think my work here is done. Technically, you are a pre-diabetic, but most doctors don't test for insulin, so most don't know it. We have got you happily hyper-producing insulin and no one knows about it. Wait, Ghost, where are you going? What happens next? Ghost! Damn it, Richard, that's your cue. Sorry. Woo, Carl Franklin. Oh no, is that you, Richard, or are you the ghost of diabetes past again? No, I am the ghost of diabetes present. Okay, I think I see where this is going. Oh, oh, look, there I am. 
Except now I'm obese. Yes, I'm afraid in the last 10 years, you blew through overweight BMI, obese class 1, 2, and are in class 3. That's a lot of Krispy Kremes. Actually, it's not the Krispy Kremes. It's all the insulin you made in response to them. Mm. You could have gotten there eating healthy whole grain bread, rice, and pasta just as easily. Hmm. Your twin who doesn't overproduce insulin could have eaten the same kind of food for just as long and not gotten obese. See, when a type 2 diabetic eats a meal, they make a lot of insulin and it stays up for longer. And when muscle cells have drawn down all of the glucose, they can't switch to fatty acids because the insulin is still elevated. So you get hungry. And a few hours after your meal, you have to have a snacky snack. Zoinks! I need a snack, Scoob! That gives you some glucose so your cells can start getting their fuel, and it keeps your insulin elevated even longer. So the only time I can burn fatty acids is when I sleep? Actually, because most of us eat late into the night, and insulin can be elevated for up to six hours after the last meal, you probably only do it for the last few hours of sleep. And then for breakfast, I'm eating some all-brand skim milk, orange juice, maybe some toast. Carbs, carbs, carbs. And then morning tea, lunch, afternoon tea, dinner, late-night snack, rinse and repeat for a decade. And so here we are. But my doctor knows now, right? She can give me some drugs to treat my diabetes and I'll be fine, right? Mm, let's look at your muscle cells again and see why your doctor finally noticed that there's a problem. Look, there's a muscle cell and it's got an insulin receptor on it. If you eat a meal, let's say you eat a meal with 50% carbs and 50% fat. In your blood, we see the byproducts of digestion. We have fatty acids and we have glucose. Your pancreas is tasting everything. It sees the glucose and makes insulin to help you utilize it. So insulin comes along and tweaks the insulin receptor on the cell. Do you remember what the muscle cell does when it gets an insulin signal? Yeah, it moves the dump truck to the cell's membrane to take up some glucose, and it switches off the burning of fatty acids inside the muscle cell until insulin goes down. We burn the glucose and store the fat, and if we have too much glucose, we turn it into fat. Right. But remember, we've been doing this for a decade now. At the beginning, we were only burning fatty acids for a few hours a day. Where insulin inhibits the burning of fatty acids is by preventing them from getting into the mitochondria. So when insulin goes up, you're still importing new fatty acids into the cell. You're still making new fatty acids in the cell, but you can't get them into the mitochondrial furnace to be turned into energy. So when we're inhibited from burning fatty acids, some can build up in our cells as lipid droplets. Is that why we get fat? It's why we get fat in all of the wrong places. Normally we have specialized cells that store lipid droplets. They're called fat cells. They're mostly all one giant lipid droplet and a little bit of cellular machinery to manage transport. Mm. And fat cells generally manage that buffer of energy in and out without impacting the functions of other cells in our body. And insulin makes fat cells work even better. They store more fat when insulin is high and they release it for other tissues when it's low. But what happens when you switch off fat burning in muscle cells is that they also start storing little lipid droplets. Mm. So in our muscle cell that we used to draw down glucose, we made a little lipid droplet as insulin turned off the ability to get those fatty acids into the furnace to be burned. Mm -hmm. Those lipid droplets require fusion proteins that the glucose dump truck also uses. So as we have more and bigger lipid droplets, that makes it just a little bit harder to back up the dump truck to import glucose. That is insulin resistance to glucose clearance. To lower glucose once we've become insulin resistant, 
Our pancreas needs to make more insulin, and that stomps harder on the burning of fatty acids, which results in more and bigger lipid droplets, making the insulin resistance worse. Over time, eventually, we are making lots of insulin, and only a trickle of glucose can get carried by those dump trucks because lipid droplets are stealing all of their fusion proteins. Is that what my doctor saw? My glucose transporters becoming less responsive to insulin and now glucose remaining elevated for hours after a meal? And she has just noticed that I might be starting to become diabetic? You got it. Eventually, glucose is elevated all the time because only a trickle is getting into cells, even with a boatload of insulin. And with so much insulin, those cells aren't getting many fatty acids either, so they have no energy despite apparently swimming in energy molecules. Well, I think my work here is done. Everyone can see the problem and everyone thinks it's because you're eating too much and not exercising. But at least your doctor can start giving you drugs. Ghost? Ghost? Woo, Carl Franklin! <sighs> Let me guess. The ghost of diabetes' future? Why, yes. How are you feeling, Carl? Uh, tired. And I ache everywhere. And there's something weird. I can't see my feet. Ah, yes, that would be the diabetic retinopathy. It's normal. All that chronically elevated insulin affects your blood vessel walls. Mm. Blood vessels become hardened and fibrous and non-perfusive. That is especially dangerous in the delicate capillaries that support your retina. That can result in progressive loss of vision from uncontrolled bleeding or the growth of new blood vessels on the retina. Almost 21% of patients with type 2 diabetes have retinopathy at the point they're diagnosed and most develop some degree of diabetic blindness over time. But that isn't the only reason that you can't see your feet. Hey, wait. I can't feel my feet. Don't I have feet? You have one. <laughs> the other's gone below the knee. Oh. The reason you can't feel your remaining foot is diabetic peripheral neuropathy. That's where your nerve cells are damaged progressively. It begins with a little tingling in your fingertips and toes, then a burning, and then a numbness. And that creeps up your limbs until you cannot feel anything below your knees or elbows. Mm. That's caused by a loss of peripheral blood supply, as the smaller vessels like capillaries harden and become unable to support the tissue in your periphery, including nerves. Your body is slowly running out of cellular resources from the outside in. Oh. And that damage to small blood vessels doesn't just affect nerves. It affects your ability to mount a robust immune response. So infections in the finger and toes of type 2 diabetics is the most common reason for lower extremity amputation as the limbs are removed to save the patient dying from gangrene. Diabetic neuropathy happens to almost half of all type 2 diabetics with enough exposure to high insulin and high glucose. Well, that sucks. But there is some good news. I have a 50-50 chance, right? So you're saying I have a chance, right? Yeah, but it's more like a chance of not being diagnosed with peripheral neuropathy before a heart attack, stroke, or kidney disease can kill you. Oh. The damage to small blood vessels that support your kidney can cause kidney damage, resulting in many diabetics having to get a donor kidney or be hooked up to a dialysis machine several times a week just to stay alive. Oh. The damage to blood vessels doesn't just happen in small vessels. It happens to large ones too, the ones that supply your heart, brain, and lungs. As you become more diabetic, your risk of arterial disease also increases. Oh. Type 2 diabetics are twice as likely to die of a heart attack or stroke than people without diabetes. You're a pretty crappy ghost, you know that? 
Well, there is some good news. I mean, there's some really great news. Okay. The first is that there's still time to change your trajectory. When the ghost of diabetes present visited you, you had just been diagnosed as a type 2 diabetic. So you have time. The second bit of good news is that that moment was also right before you went keto. Ah. Well-controlled clinical trials have shown that a low-carb ketogenic diet halts and in most cases reverses the progression of type 2 diabetes. Over 53% of the patients in the Virtus study were able to remiss their type 2 diabetes completely. And a week later, Richard and I began podcasting about my journey. Ghost? Ghost? Where are you at now, you spooky bastard? Oh, it was all a dream. Hi, I'm Richard Morris from Canberra, Australia. In 2014, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. After taking the dietary advice of the Australian Diabetes Association, I became more diabetic. I did some research which led me to the ketogenic diet. Spoiler alert, I reversed my type 2 diabetes by drastically reducing my carbohydrate intake and increasing my consumption of healthy fats. In 2016, I was determined to help my buddy Carl by showing him what I did and the science behind it. Hey, y'all. I'm Carl Franklin from the United States. I also used to be type 2 diabetic, but not as severely as Richard. I devoured all the information Richard sent me, and after a mutual friend went keto to address prostate cancer, I also went on the ketogenic diet. That was in February of 2016. By April, I was in full swing reversing my diabetes. Keep calm and keto on, Carl. Keep calm and keto on, Richard, and we'll see you next time on Two Keto Dudes. Dudes.